we're digital nomads. We work anywhere. We're not limited by location. We're not limited by self-belief. We are works in progress. I'm Beck Power, and this is the Nomad Me Podcast. Today, I get to chat with Liz Scully, who is my masterminding muse. Liz is a rock-solid business strategist and mastermind enthusiast. Today, she's going to show you why you need to run a group mastermind for your business and how to do it. Let's do this. Liz Scully, so glad to have you on the podcast. And a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Um, I love talking to you. You are a wealth of knowledge. Hi, thank you very much. Likewise, actually, likewise. Thanks. Where are you located right now? I am in, uh, I was going to say sunny Belgium, but that's not true. It is freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, you said a lot. In last Antwerp place. at the moment. We are a very cold snap called the Beast to the East. Oh, oh, yeah. Last time we spoke, I think you were between London and New York. Are you still going to those two as well? I did, I did still spend a lot of time there. We met in Barcelona and I went back to London. I've been in Belgium most of the winter and I'm probably going to spend a big chunk of time in Guatemala this year, I think. Ooh. Cool. Um, what do you, just for the listeners, what do you currently do for cash? How do you make your money? I, I'm a business strategist. So I work with clients, helping them build their business, rapid growth and sustainable growth as well. And I do that within masterminds, groups, small accountability groups. And I have a coaching school that trains people to do that. Mm, super cool. How you've been traveling for some time. How did you originally get started as a digital nomad? Well, I think it actually comes from my childhood. So when um, I'm Irish, but I grew up in the UK and the Irish diaspora so is fairly well traveled. My father was an engineer. So I grew up in my teens in Nigeria and in Pakistan. Wow. And it just pretty much set, settled the idea that travel was the thing and also also my father went to sea before that he was in the merchant navy so where your family was was not necessarily where you were and I think it just it's a way of living that is pretty basic to me yeah awesome so you didn't really have you ever had you know the um traditional office jobs or anything yes I worked in fit well I'm not sure they were traditional office jobs but I worked in film in big studios for a long time so I would go and work I spent 20 years doing that and I would go in to work at the same studio for a couple of years at a time epic um well one thing that we have talked about in the past a lot is masterminds and and you are again a wealth of knowledge on on that topic I suppose for the people who are listening this episode is more I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more for people who have an existing um, platform that they can build a mastermind on top of. Is that right? Yes, although I do, I do really believe that anyone who gives advice in their business, and that's, a, that's almost everyone if you're in the consulting or design side of things, mm-hmm. if you give advice to your clients, you're used to encouraging them to make decisions Mm-hmm. And you can run a mastermind. Almost anyone can run a mastermind, I believe, as long as you've got the right training, of course. But then I would say that. But um, so consultants, coaches, they make it, 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 that's the obvious extension to run a mastermind. But pretty much anyone can do it. As long as you're already working with clients and you're used to giving advice, I think anyone can run them. Hmm. 
All right, so you you probably should have a bit of experience and maybe maybe a platform or be uh, teaching someone something. What are yes, the, it would certainly help. Yeah, de definitely. What are the um, I guess how do you how would you get started running a mastermind if you or actually no, let's start with why would you run one? What is the I mean, you build your whole business on them, but why would someone want to start running I, one? Well, that's, that's a really good question. So. The reason is the only way I work with clients, actually. I believe that it gives the best results for clients. So they're small meetings that meet over a long period. So in my, in my masterminds, we meet every other week for around a year. Now, you can run them for three months or six months or a year, as I do. And then clients often return. So they often in the cycle for maybe three years. And with that length of time together, stuff really happens when you do one-to-one -one coaching or when you do a workshop or a course it's quite a short period that you're together mm. and although you get lots of support for that period there's something about having someone a group of someone's not only see you and begin to get to know where you might fall down where the bright shiny objects might get in the way of you actually finishing but they also see your patterns over many years so you get great results, great support, and your clients feel sort of held and seen in a way that no other coaching really does. That's really interesting. So it's, we would say, would you say it's um, basically just an accountability thing or is there more to it? There's much more to that. Um, and I, I suspect that was a leading question because I know you know that too. Uh. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the name Mastermind comes from the book Think and Grow Rich. And um, that comes from the idea that all of the, when, when a group meets together, there is an extra presence in that group. So three people meeting together, it's as though there's a greater feeling there, a bigger mind, a master mind. That's where the word comes from. And I think that's generally true. There is such a lot of, so you get coached, you get support, you get accountability in the group, but you also get stretched. And I think there is a huge useful element to have a bunch of people expecting you to achieve because potentially you don't have that elsewhere in your business or in your life to have a group of people that if you say I'm going to do X, nobody is going to say, well, you never did that last week and you didn't do it the week before. You're not going to do it this week. Mm. It's just a bunch of people that are like, okay, fine. And they then expect you to. So to not achieve that goal, you're letting people down. So when I've run um, in-person masterminds, I used to find that the day before we met, people would have this frantic goal achieving. It was like going, like, you know, like uh, the way people do their homework before they start school. Yeah. So like Sunday night, everyone is doing their homework. Yeah. Just like that in masterminds. So that's the accountability. But the urge and the motivation to get it done comes from not wanting to let the team down. And I think that's really important. Yeah, cool. So I guess there's a couple of aspects, right? There are angles, I suppose. Uh -huh. If you are thinking about, you have a business and you're thinking about starting a mastermind, or if you're someone who would like to join one and needs to be in one, I guess those are the two ways of looking at it, right? Absolutely. So what are the techniques? Yes. And, uh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, so I was going to say, so I'm in a mastermind as well as running masterminds. Mm. And because they have helped my business grow so quickly and so much that it makes 
I feel almost naked without a mastermind. And normally I'm in, in two or three, but then I am something of a mastermind addict by the nature of my business. <laughs> it does seem like that's true, yes. Um, what are the technical requirements? <laughs> if you wanted to start a mastermind, how, you know, is, is there anything that's hidden that's like a secret problem that could come up? I mean, is it as, a, is, as easy as arranging a few people to meet every two weeks? Oh, I wish it was. It's not hard, but it is a little bit more than that. Um, Technology-wise, you if you run them online, all you need is Zoom or another meetup, uh, video conferencing system. So the, the actual tech requirements aren't much. If you meet in person, you just need a pad and a pencil. You do not need anything complicated from the tech side. Mm. But just getting a group of people together with no curation isn't going to work. So free masterminds, they can be wonderful but they generally have a lot of dropout. And for a mastermind to work, to get that longevity and get that being seen over a long period, you need people who are going to commit. Mm. And often, if not always, the way you get people to commit is to get them to pay. Because as with all of us, when you've got a bit of skin in the game, you're more, much more likely to pay attention. So it's not just a matter of people paying either. It's got to be the right people i'm sure you must have experienced a few iffy masterminds in your time <laughs> yes and they are such a waste of time mm. and normally it's because if you were setting up a mastermind um if it's a paid mastermind people have just taken everyone who can pay mm -hmm. and if it uh free masterminds they've taken just everyone that will say yes who's available on a thursday afternoon at two o'clock yeah neither of those are very good um barometer for getting a good group what you need is people who are, have similar goals they don't have to be in the same business they don't have to be doing the same thing but have similar goals so if it's weight loss they all want to get to the same sort of weight loss not necessarily the same weight but you know they want to be able to swim and swim a mile say or um mm -hmm. you know lose three stones something that is a similar comparable thing and in business growth perhaps they all want to go from 100,000 to 300,000 so that's important mm -hmm. but the next thing you want is that the that people are moving at the same speed to those goals because if we both want to get to a million dollars for our business but I'm at 900,000. I'm not moving very fast to get to a hundred, uh, you know, to get to a million within this year. I've still got 10 months of the year to go. Well, I spent nine months of the year now, but it's, it's perfectly doable. I've also got a system that wouldn't take very much expansion to do that. Whereas if you've just started your business and you want to get to a million, well, you're probably moving either much more quickly or you have an unrealistic goal. So that speed to goal is really important because you want to be with people who are moving. If you've got someone who's super fast and someone who's still trying to work out how to buy a domain name, then they're going to annoy each other or yeah. uh, demotivate each other. Definitely. And that was my next question was how do you pick people to match? And so you literally would just go through and, and match their approximate goals in the level that they're at. Yes, Approximate goals, level they're at. Um, also, you want to so the speed to the goal, their goal, age, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. What is very important is that they are a mix of personalities. So I particularly care about whether or not people are extrovert or introvert. Because mm -hmm. if you have a group that is all extrovert, 
nobody shuts up and nobody listens. Can you imagine like six extroverts all speaking to each speaking. Even with careful facilitation, that is going to be a nightmare to try and get people to stop and listen. Mm-hmm. And if it's all introverts, nobody's going to be, want to be the first person to speak. So you need a nice mix of that. And there is nothing wrong with either instru- in, extrovert or introvert. It's just a different way of processing information. Extroverts become clearer when they speak. Their ideas crystallize as they vocalize them. Introverts like to have a stop and a think and then bring for, forwards the idea to be discussed. And so you need to allow time for both of those processing systems. Because if you tell an extrovert to wait, they will forget. If, if you don't tell them and they just have to wait, they will forget what they were going to say. Mm-hmm. Whereas with an introvert, if you say, if you turn to an introvert and go, right, what do you think? And they've had no warning, they're not going to be ready. So that's part of the facilitation of the group. It's also a mix. You want probably there's probably it's about 20% of the population is introvert and that's ideally what you would like in your group so if you have five or six people you would want one maybe two introverts at the most hmm. what um makes or breaks a mastermind i know you've you've said a couple of things already is there any sort of secret sauce that maybe in the facilitation itself or something like that Um, well, absolutely. First of all, you do want a c- committed group of people who are going to be there for the whole time. Now, obviously, not everyone can make every single session, mm-hmm. but you do really need a commitment. People are going to be there and they're going to pay attention and they want to be there. So anyone who's wishy-washy. So curation is number one. And what I have found, speaking to hundreds of, of mastermind coaches over the years, is that when you have a problematic group, we all knew who was going to be the troublemaker before we started. And trouble can be that they didn't turn up or they were, they were a bit negative or they never achieved their goals. Like, you know, trouble from a facilitation point of view is that you're not helping the group. Mm. And that gut feeling before you start, when you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure this person's going to work, they won't. They just won't. But it's very hard to say no to someone who's, particularly if they're waving money at you. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't get easier the more experienced and the more money that people are waving. I have a client at the moment who's setting up a mastermind that is $10,000 a month. It's for growth from $3 million to $10 million in your business. So it's perfectly worth the money. Mm-hmm. But for him to say no to someone who's um, a, bit of a, a bit of a fool or a bit annoying it's him turning down $120,000 worth of business. That's no easier than you or I turning down ten dollars or $20,000 worth of business. It's harder, if anything. So, but it is the essence. If your, mastermind will, if your mastermind works, it's because you curated carefully without a shadow of a doubt. Interesting. So if it starts off pretty well, then it's probably going to continue. You know, if the first three months are great, it's probably going to be a good year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's this wonderful, in say in a six month arc, um, in a six month mastermind, there is this beautiful arc that goes through. So the first month, people are quite new to it and they just want to get it right. And they're, you know, everyone's quite polite. The second time, second month, people are beginning to get to know each other and opening up. The third month, as you say, people are really, they're, they're relaxed in the setup. They know what they're doing. They've opened up about themselves and whatever it is they're master, masterminding around, in my case, that business. So they've been very honest and open. They've got great support. They've got 
interesting feedback. The fourth month in my business, we call that the crying month because by that point, everyone is so open. Everyone's in love with each other. The whole community is built really well. And at that point, people really open up. You know, I said that this was a problem. Well, it's really this. And from then on, once you've hit that, the confidence of the third month and everyone's fallen in love by the fourth month, then your mastermind will just be so easy. And it's so delightful, except right at the very end, in the last month, people get a bit nervous about what's going to happen next. So it's important to reassure people at that point that they can continue or that there's other resources that they can have. Hmm. And so a good length, I mean, it's probably the length probably depends on the topic, right? Yes, absolutely. So you can do a mastermind on its own. The, most of the masterminds I run for myself are that, you know, the mastermind is the point. You're there to achieve specific goals, but you can also have a mastermind to support uh, a course or a workshop, something where, say, if it was a course, maybe you have six weeks of content and then the mastermind afterwards, which might be another six weeks or another three months. Or you could have a workshop followed by a three-month or a six-month mastermind. And though, but those timings, three, six, three months, six months, or a year, are really, they're pretty standard. And most masterminds don't make it past three years for some reason. I think it's simply that people's lives change yeah, at that point. Definitely. Um, last mastermind question, and I probably, I feel like I probably should have asked this one first. Financially, what is the benefit of starting a mastermind for your project or topic? Well, they can be incredibly lucrative. So apart from the fact that you can charge pretty much whatever you like within your, you know, within the charges that you have and what your your area of expertise will bear. As I said, I have friends that charge $10,000 a month. I have personal knowledge of many masterminds that are in the 20,000 or 40,000 for the whole mastermind. Mm -hmm. I meant that most people start their paid masterminds. They, they run a little three month test to see if they like the whole mastermind setup. And if they do, they then charge 500 a month minimum going forwards. Now you still charge for the first test, the beta or the beta, as they would say in the US, but I would charge a little bit less for that because it is your first time and you want to get people in. So you can easily, if you have six people in a mastermind and you've tested it and you like it and you've curated carefully, all those things, you can easily be bringing in 3000 a month per mastermind. And that gets to be very helpful revenue for your business. And you spend your, all your time in contact with your clients. It's very time efficient. So you have great feedback. I'm sure the, bit, the reason my business has grown so fast is I spend all day in masterminds listening to my clients give each other advice on how to grow their businesses. <laughs> I, it can't help but rub off on me as well. Basically, I hang around with smart people for mm -hmm. a living. It's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, that definitely does. That would be like a free bonus. It really is. It really is. Like your, like your podcast is interviewing people about, about business growth <laughs> and business structure. And it's just brilliant. I'm secretly here with a pen and paper, literally just writing down. <laughs> exactly. As you should be. Mm -hmm. So are you ready for the quick fire round? Sure. All right. Bring it on. Yeah. What book are you reading right now? At the moment, I am rereading Dan Pink's Drive, which I, I just read his, his new book, 
uh, when, which is fantastic. And I was, it inspired me to re-listen to Drive. If you haven't listened to it, either of those or read them, then please dive in. They are fantastic. Great. What genre is that? That is business growth. Dan Pink is business growth um, and with psychology. So Drive has been out for a while. When is very new. It only came out last month. But what is fascinating about it is it is about not how to do things, but when to do things for optimum success. Fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like something to be right up my alley. Um, how, when you travel around, I don't, how long are you in... Um, how long are you in certain places and what do you, what's your, I, I call it like a luggage stack. What is, how much luggage do you take with you? Uh, far too much, far, far too much luggage. <laughs> I normally, I, for years, I travel super light, but now I'm away for a very long time, or <laughs> pretty much permanently. So I, I also have a side business that is stationary and unfortunately, like sta like stationary products not stationary staying in one place mm -hmm. but um unfortunately a love of paper and pens and pencils comes with a weight cost <laughs> it's just really heavy dragging those bags around so i've been in belgium for four months now in two different locations and i find now that because i've been completely nomadic for four and a half years now i find i'm staying longer in each place just because the nature of my business is launching and every time I have to move, there's a concern about, is the Wi-Fi fast enough? There's the, you know, getting to know an area. There's no point having moved if you don't enjoy where you are. Mm. So yes, I, I, my trend is to, I used to be to stay a month or so in each place. I think it's moving up to staying about six months mm. in each place, two or three months per city anyway. And I, I, I have got to cut down my luggage. Good God, I can barely lift it at the moment. Not all. <laughs> That was my next question was, what's a weird item that you travel with? Would you, would that be your stationery? I would, I would say the outrageous number of pencils. I, on my desk at the moment, I can probably see, and these are, these are the essentials. These are, these are the things I absolutely must have, not just with me, but to hand. I can probably see <laughs> 20 pencils and maybe 10 types of pen and the, the marker I use. Um, I worked in animation. That's what I did in film. Oh. So pens, paper, drawing that side of things is an, an essential but it makes no sense and I've recently I've also started and I think this is because secretly I want to nest I have started traveling with two items of household gear with me all the time so I've got two little cups that mean that wherever I am I can feel like I'm at home with this little china cup and I now travel and this is sh I can't believe I'm about to admit this I now travel with some tea towels that have particular <laughs> Because otherwise, every single place I go, I know it's ludicrous, but every single place I go to, it looks like an Ikea <laughs> catalogue everywhere. So now I, I, can, I put, my, put my little cup out and I put, I put it at my, my nice piece of fabric with the print that I bought in a nice fancy design shop and I get my pencils out and I'm at home. Very this is the most British thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true well, you're not carrying around tea bags with you well <coughs> no 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 of course i do of course i do what um what advice do you have for someone who's setting out on the digital nomad journey or even more than that what do you think you know what is there to avoid that's a very good question so for advice before you start, mm. I would say 
you don't have to do it all in one go. You don't have to give up your home completely and that's it. I'm a nomad. I'm never going home. You could easily do it for three months or six months and see if you like it. So that would be before you start, give it a go. And the things to avoid, well, apart from the obvious, don't take too much stuff with you. <laughs> I am no longer, no longer paying attention. I used to be the king of light travel. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, so things to avoid. I think... There is a way of thinking as a nomad that is really, once you've been doing it for a long time, I'm sure you've seen this in your, your guests, Beck. there's a way of thinking that is very strategic. So the, the, where I'm staying at the moment, it is opposite the police station. And that is just when I looked on Google Maps and saw that this particular Airbnb was directly opposite a nice looking cafe, a laundrette and the police station and had good transport links, I knew I'd want to stay here because it's also, you know, also it's pleasant and it's in my price range and it has internet. But I was mentioning this to a friend of mine and he went, you're telling me you picked a place opposite the police station deliberately. <laughs> and it never even occurred to me that it was like, well, I'm a woman traveling alone. Of course I, I mean, <laughs> of course I thought of that. And I think there's that mindset. So if you can hang out with people who travel a lot and get used to just that very, very cautious, never leave your bag anywhere alone, always make sure you have a change of underwear and all the cables you need in your hand luggage, just yeah. simple stuff. Yeah, great. If I may, I'd be interested in what you answer to that. Do tell, Beck. To um, what to watch out? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. I never think of these things. I'm the asker. Ah. <laughs> what to watch out for? Um <sighs> Yeah, it is. It is a good question, isn't it? Um, I. It's not. I guess there's nothing really safety related that I've never um, really worried about that too much. But I am big on fo you know focusing on business, and so I sure. don't easily get. Well, maybe I do easily get distracted by going out and meeting people and all that that sort of thing, and so. I think something to watch out for is when you first get started as a nomad, you you kind of get excited about the possibilities and the freedom and you can get caught up in, you know, going out and, and doing all the tours in the city or hanging out with new people and exploring everything and, and letting your um, income slide a bit. And I actually feel that sure. that's why um, nomads have this, stereotype of just earning coconut money <laughs> yes and it's that's yeah that's definitely something that I don't want to encourage you know I definitely don't want to say that everyone should be sitting in their house all day and like never leave but um but I think it can be dangerous to go out too much and, and kind of get into this lifestyle where it's all party all the time and just earn the minimum amount of money that you need you know I think um really creating a business and a, a platform that you can grow and scale and be proud of rather than just doing the bare minimum. And everyone's different, you know, like some people would, they just want to earn this much money and they're happy and that's fine. But I, I've always wanted to build something bigger than myself. And so that would be my thing is, is like watch out for, you know, what, I guess know what kind of lifestyle you want and work towards that. Absolutely. I've always thought, you know, there are lots of those travel co-working setups now, which look wonderful. But I, whenever I look at them, 
and then there's there's yachting and surfing and you can there's a barbecue every Friday night I always look at them and think when is the work happening <laughs> when are people building their businesses yeah so yes absolutely I entirely agree with you with that and I, I'm it's interesting that safety isn't an issue for you but I wonder whether it's because I grew up in Pakistan it's just it's mm-hmm. second nature to me just to make sure that really? if there's just not I mean nothing major it's just in the background one of the things I lived in for four years to before till I became nomadic and that this this time and I was telling the same friend actually him who was stood there going police stations what mm-hmm. uh, I was telling him that since I left India four years ago I haven't bribed anyone <laughs> not even a policeman nobody I have bribed nobody and I really like that but that's yeah. again second nature I bribe people occasionally. Definitely, let me tell you why safety is not such an issue for me. Um, because I'm from New Zealand and mm-hmm. I've had like the most sheltered childhood and life ever. Um, I lived in Japan for a year. I lived in, um, you know, the UK, which at that time and where I was living was super safe. I was in Kent and it was like everything was fine. And now I live in Thailand, which is, again, there's so much tourist infrastructure that I just never have to think about it. Um, and so That's I, brilliant. That is, and I, Thailand is delightful. It really is. And I'm naive. <laughs> so I probably should be thinking. <laughs> um, all right. Well, where can people find you online? You are a delight. And I'm sure that everyone wants to collect, uh, connect with you. Where can they go? Well, I think- why, thank you. So you can find me at rethinkcentral.com, which is my company and has lots of information on masterminding and just a whole bunch of general uh, blog information. Also quite a lot of cake recipes, I must confess. I have a small <laughs> passion about cake. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> one of my questions is like, what weird passion do you have? Cake. Well, yeah, cake, cake and stationery, really. That's neither of which make packing light, let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, we will have that link on our show notes page, um, which you can find at digitalnomad.me. If you're listening and you want to start a mastermind, Liz is 100% the one to talk to, so I hope you look her up. Liz, it's been great having you on the show. It's been a delight to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. If you love Nomad Me, make sure to leave your good review on iTunes. Every week, I select a reviewer to win a lifetime Nomad Fly membership for free. All the show notes can be found at digitalnomad.me. See you tomorrow.